Hello and welcome to the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Tim and I'm joined this evening by... By Dan. Just the two of us this evening, um, here to review the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, well, we'll try and find something to review from it. Wasn't the greatest race in the world. But first off, how are we doing, Dan? Are we all good this evening? Not too bad, mate. I had a nice uh, nice sleep yesterday after Turn 1, so I feel <laughs> I feel refreshed uh, and, and ready to go about my week, yeah. You? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I desperately rushed home from my morning out to make it back in time for the race. I made it back in about 5-2, to two. all excited. Hamilton on pole, two Alfa Romeos in the top 10. The, the fall of Red Bull on the horizon imminent and, uh, well, it didn't really happen, did it? It all, we got absolutely none of that. By, by, turn one. by turn one, it was all gone. But I guess that's where we should start because Red Bull have broken McLaren's race win in a row record, which has stood since 88 or 89, uh, the famous Senna and Prost team. So uh, what are your thoughts initially on Verstappen and Red Bull breaking that record? To be fair, it was probably always going to happen because uh, obviously they're quite a dominant team this uh, this year and last year. Although it's a momentous uh, moment in F1 history, I, I can't get excited about it just because it's Red Bull. Like I just, I, I, I can't, I just, I can't see, I just, I just, I just can't see past their negativity and that. Like, yeah, okay, for everyone in the team, it's a, you know, it, it is a big deal. For Max, it's a big deal. For Checo, it's probably about as much of a big deal as him getting chucked in a Toro Rosso. Uh, sorry, Alpha Tari uh, in about three weeks. But um, yeah, the way the sport is at the moment, I just don't see it as enough of a positive situation to, to you know to really get excited about. It's interesting you say that because I was I I go through phases where I'm like, wow, we've just witnessed history, and then I go through other phases where I'm sort of on the fence with you, where there is a cloud that has hung over especially the end of last season this season with the cost cap with the way that Red Bull have gone about things and it's it kind of just taints it slightly for me there are some things that have made me think that wow what an achievement is though Um, one of them is the fact that well in definitely in my lifetime of watching Formula One we've lived through the Ferrari dominance the Red Bull dominance under Vettel initially and the end of the the 2000s, early 2010s, and then also the Mercedes dominance. And that in none of those three eras of dominance where you've had multiple constructors titles in a row, multiple world champions in a row, none, none of those generations of teams have been able to come and beat what McLaren set all those years ago, which when I think about it in that context, it does feel like a wow. The fact that you come up with a car that is on the level of technology the level of expertise the level of on the line of if you go a bit too fast or if you do one small thing wrong you can ruin your whole weekend and not get those wins and not get those consistent week after week after week after race after race results it's uh it's it is it is an impressive achievement even if you're not the biggest red bull fan it's got to be respected and noted which is why we're talking about it i guess yeah, and I feel like we've noted it, and now we can move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yes. it, it is, it is, it is a big achievement. But if it was anyone but Red Bull, I'd be excited. And like, yeah, like, like you said, you know, we've had the Ferrari dominance, we've had the Red Bull, we've had the Mercedes. 
and obviously as a Lewis fan slash Mercedes fan, like it, it is nice to win. It's taken these shitty two seasons with Red Bull winning everything to think like, wow, this is how every other team that has felt, every other person that supports every other driver has felt. It's like it just it's just it's boring, brother. Like it's <laughs> the, the last couple of races where the rain spiced it up and we've had McLaren here, we've had like obviously we'll have like start of the season we had sorry, yeah. Oh, Alonso. Than sorry, yeah. Alonso. Um let's face it, we do wish it was still there, but it's it's but it's Alonso. It's taken these obscure moments to be like, oh, there's like, something exciting this week. And then just nothing, is it? It's just yeah. it just it does just doesn't transpire. If you'd have shown people this season and you just shown them Saturday qualifying sessions, they'd think that it's one of the greatest seasons you're ever going to see every single week. <laughs> or if you just showed them uh, maybe sprint races and uh, qualifying sessions. But unfortunately, yeah, the pace of that Red Bull over multiple laps, it does dampen the show a bit. And don't get me wrong, mm. I still love sitting down for a Sunday afternoon and watching my racing, but it's just not as enthralling not as on the edge of your feet as it has been for definitely some of the more recent years this is the problem like i'm not going to make it a foot football analogy i'm going to make a call of duty analogy right <laughs> it's absolutely shit and it's a shit show and it's broken but you still watch it and you still play it <laughs> like you can't not play it because obviously i'm coming up to nearly 40 now not 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 quite so for the past 35 years plus of my life I've watched Formula One every every Saturday every Sunday and you know it's heavily embedded into my into my life but it is boring I'll I, I tell you what actually another thing as you brought up qualifying what is your take on this new qualifying uh hard medium soft shit that they're that they're proposing to do in the next qualifying session because I'm 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 gonna be honest with you I'm not a fan because the, the only reason we've seen these shock results of uh, Williams or whoever uh, making it into Q3 is because they've used soft soft in the majority of like Q1 to Q2 to get to get through. I just feel if you're going to whack everyone on hard tire, like there's there's no there's no strategy, there's no advantage. There's it's just going to see us with you know the people that you expect to see there. There's going to be no shock results and no um, people that shouldn't be there potentially. It's just going to be the same people every week. Mm. I do agree to some extent. Um, what actually annoyed me is that in that qualifying one and qualifying two, qualifying one and qualifying two is your chance to see a Williams or an Alpha Tauri right on the limit, low fuel loads, the fastest tyre, the fastest aero packaging conditions and if you give that a hard tire they're not getting a chance to show off every week what their car can do with the ultimate setup the ultimate the ultimate tire choice and the ultimate lap time if they're own so say if you're going out in q1 three three out of every four races and just making it into q2 maybe one in every four races you're never going to get to show the world what your car can actually do in the fastest conditions and that is what qualifying is all about qualifying is an exhibition of what your car is capable of if you look at the Hasses this year and the amount of times that Nico Hulkenberg has put that Hass into Q3 and a combination of 
driver skill and genuine quick pace and also just showing that that car if they could get it consistent could do that lap after lap and if you're putting on to Alpha Tauri or a Williams or something like that a hard tyre that you know is slower in race pace and you're not going to be able to hit the absolute limit of everything that you want to do um, I do agree with the concept, I think we all would, of the sustainability side of trying to reduce the tyres that are bought on a race weekend, which is what the FIA identifies this as, is the idea that you're not using a set of tyres in Q1 that you're going to use and then effectively throw away again because the hard tyre can then be reused in a practice session or in a race weekend without losing major performance. But I think if the F1 teams need to balance that, then just give them one less set of hard tyres we need we need more races where there's only softer tyres available anyway so that you have more pit stops in a race. I think there are better ways of doing it than making everyone run on the hard tyre. Exactly that, mate. You're hog-tying everybody into only using that tyre and not choosing strategy, you know, not choosing to waste softer tyres to get a faster lap time, to get through, to move up. Like, is that not the whole point of qualifying is to use the tire that you want to use like surely as a a sustainability issue or problem is there not a way to just make a better tire so it's reusable to reuse the tires like you know obviously like shred it or i don't know do, do something with it to make it reusable instead of limiting the lower teams to literally going out every q1 or every q2 like you're not going to see a williams a Haas, um or anything like that past q1 uh, we did we did have a Haas in the top 10 this weekend with again nico but i agree it just felt like the williams didn't have much of a chance of progressing on the hard tire well there was one man who did take a hard tire back of the grid car and put it into q2 but we'll get onto him in a minute <laughs> but um yeah i agree that it's However, the qualifying session did give us a few talking points. Obviously, Lewis's first pole, as people who are both, I know you're a out-and-out Lewis fan, he's always been one of my favourites, if not the out-and-out favourite. Uh, great to see him back on pole again for the start of a race. Exactly. It's nice to see him on pole, but it's better to see that Mercedes are making headway with that car. Um it's given me a sense of optimism that next season isn't a complete fucking Red Bull washout as well. Mid-season-ish, if they can start bringing upgrades, if more upgrades, if they can start dialing it in that car and getting it to where it should have been at the start of the season. So along with McLaren and along with Aston Martin, if we can get the Ferraris up there as well, and obviously we're going to still have the Red Bulls, you know, we're looking at a five-way potential fight next year for a championship if everyone could get their shit in order yeah um that is the dream isn't it to not just have two teams competing which i think we would all take at the moment but to have a third team a fourth team i'll be honest the ferraris and the aston martins this weekend look a long way off where they need to be it's strange how circuit dependent this generation of cars seems to be for everyone other than red bull one week it's Ferrari's the second fastest car. One week it's Mercedes. One week it's McLaren. One week it's Aston Martin. It just never seems to be anyone consistently. I'm not too surprised that Aston Martin, as you mentioned, have fallen away a little bit. The strides that they made and in the modern era of F1 we are with the cost cap and everything like that, I think there was always going to be a 
period of stagnation where they just consolidated what they had and other teams are going to keep moving forward through that. But yeah, well, hopefully, sign, signs of life, and especially with how close Lando was to the top two as well. You, were, you had three drivers within one-tenth of a second for the top three spots. If any of the t- teams can translate that to a race pace to match the Red Bull race pace, then that would be something brilliant to watch, I think, especially with these generations of cars where it hasn't been perfect, but they have been better racing and easier to pass and able to run closer through the corners. A lot of the things that they were trying to combat I like like you said like they're you know making it easier to pass making it easier to run closer together and all that sort of stuff like that has definitely worked for everyone in p2 and behind but like you said someone needs to seriously address that red bull's race pace because again in this race 27 28 seconds or whatever it was oh it was no it was bigger 33 34 seconds at the end Um, yeah it you was know, the biggest race win since Hamilton in Russia, I want to say. The race when Norris went out in the wet and Hamilton won by nearly a minute. But that was only because of the rain with three or four laps to go and Hamilton timing the tyres right. If if you're going back for a dry race, it's, I think it was 2019 from a Lewis win back then that the biggest win in an all-dry race, which is just crazy, the scale of that victory. To be fair... I think Max would have beat that in Australia, I want to say. Possibly not Australia, where he went into the grass. Um, oh, yes. And, was yeah. it Australia? And, and said he was just um, just ha- just helping them cut the grass. Yeah, um, well, Australia also had the um, restart at the end, didn't it? The late race restart. Yeah. He might have beaten it there if he hadn't had the red flag with a couple of laps to go. But it's just, you know, again, it's a, you know, when the, the, when, when the closest car is over 30 seconds behind you it's just a race p2 and back isn't it it's yeah it's um yeah and obviously some people didn't even get to have a race uh because we had a little bit of um bumpy bumpy turn one and actually we had some bumpy bumpy in nascar as well which actually actually has got a lot of uh people talking but we'll talk about the <laughs> but we'll, we'll stick to we'll the f1, about the f1 part because... for now yeah uh I might might boost the American audience if we uh, went into the NASCAR side of it because that was okay. Yeah, just, but... just just go and watch the last few laps if you haven't seen it. The race at Pocono this weekend rather controversial. Um, Schumacher and Barrichello at Hungary comes to mind. <laughs> For me, it isn't controversial because it isn't something I haven't seen many a times. Yeah, I saw it with Tony Stewart. I've seen it with Dale Senior. I've seen it with a lot of the other drivers. It's just a thing of the sport. It's it is what it is. But yeah, all right. Should we get back I, I, to the F one bumpy bumpy? I just want to say I ha- I have no hate for, for for Denny Hamlin. I think it's absolutely hilarious how much hate he's getting. And he oh. and he's, and it, the thing is he's sitting at home with a nice big cash prize and a trophy, laughing his ass off on Twitter with <laughs> with zero fucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. Let's let's get back to the F one bumpy bumpy of um the Alpines having. A uh, pretty traumatic turn one experience, thanks to was it Joe? Joe, yeah. Uh, well, first off, the yeah. Joe qualified fifth and was behind the Alpines, who qualified thirteenth and no, sorry, fourteenth and seventeenth by by turn one. So awful start from him. Poor start from Bottas as well. Both ended up well outside the points by the time they got to who, turn one. Who was it that literally just? sat still 
Was that Bottas? That was, that was Joe. Joe. That was Joe, was it? Yeah, so yeah. Joe started fifth, and by the time won, he was behind Gasly, who started in 18th, which... Um, that was just a savage start. I was yeah. like, oh, here we boxer, go. Boxer. It sounded a bit like, on the replay, it sounded like a box of neutrals, if you ever watched, like, a Jordan with yeah. the old gearboxes or an old BAR car or something like that, like a, a, a mid-grid car that would qualify well and then just almost anti-stall on the grid and not be able to go into first gear. It sounded horrible from the onboard. But, yeah, so show outbreaks himself. Uh, clip the back of Daniel Ricciardo. We'll get on to him in a minute because great recovery drive. And then Ricciardo went into one Alpine who went into the other and it was race over for both Alpines at turn one. Back-to-back retirements. Um, not something you, you, you want to see, but the problem is, is turn one, it does tend to cause these kinds of incidents. We, we saw it with um, Bottas uh, a few seasons ago. You just want to do the best you want to gain positions. You want to get through that corner ahead of where you started. And it, it does, it just, it lends itself to that out driving of your car, sadly. Mm. Yeah. And also I think in that situation for Joe, especially if you've had that qualifying, the frustration that must be in your head, if your car lets you down on that restart and then you're thinking, I've got to make as many places as possible. And you just break too late. And before you know it, it's race over and race over for yourself and also race over for several other people. Um, Did he himself, get a penalty for that? He, he only got a five seconds penalty. Yeah, I thought it was a five. Yeah. Which I feel when you've taken out two cars and sent one car from a promising position to the back of the grid, it's a very small price to pay. Um, we've discussed on this podcast a few times, I think the distribution of penalties and the way that they're decided and evaluated and I think it's just another example of there needs to be more leeway that actually looks at the results of a situation or what happened as the result of an incident rather than just accepting it I'm just having a look through the Alpines obviously double double DNF here double DNF at Silverstone I think they only got one or two points in Austria yeah, one point in Austria and two points in Canada. So a really, really poor spell for the Alpine team generally. Is it because there's two French people driving? I feel like that's a, a factor. Well, I, I was convinced that it was going to be that the two of them came together out of their own faults in every race. Yeah, that um, was quite a high probability. High, high probability, but they, they've come together twice, but there's nothing they could have done about this one in Hungary. And the other time they came together was in the midst of the carnage in the restart in Australia with two laps to go. So I don't think yeah. I don't I don't think there's much that they could have done about either of those. Um obviously Ocon got the podium in Monaco. You had their president and their people saying, Oh yeah, this is like the start of it now, we're gonna push on from here and they just really haven't the next four or five races. No, but that's exactly the same as the Aston Martin. Like saw so much potential and then Aston Martin who? Like I think Aston Martin have a good car but they just haven't been able to keep up that rate of development whether that's cost cap related whether that's actual just being able to bring the upgrades to the car because they bought so much at the start of the season and keeping that rate of increase sustainability of increase of speed is just such a difficult thing to keep doing consistently and I'm sure that 
it might be later in the season, it might be at the start of next season, they will come again and they will jump back up into that Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren battle. At the moment, I think they're just, they haven't gone backwards. I'd say they've flatlined and every, everyone else has taken a step forward. This is the thing, the, um, the progression and development has been so rapid throughout the whole field. Obviously, everybody scammering to catch up with Red Bull and their dominance. But Red Bull haven't really made any upgrades, have they? Any real significant upgrades to the car well, since the they, season? they keep saying they haven't. But if you ask, well, if you listen to people in the know, they had new upgrades this weekend that they said was making them faster in the corners. And when you're at Hungary, you're turning for 99% of the, well, 95% of the lap. So if you're going to be faster in the corners, that's, uh, that's why I think this weekend they went from winning a race by seven or eight seconds from Lando Norris to winning a race by 30 seconds from Lando. So you're basically saying we've had some secret, illegitimate Red Bull <laughs> upgrades that nobody knows about and some more shady Red Bull shit. Well, they, they've, they've quite openly said it was an upgrade to make them faster. But um, yeah, I think it was definitely noticeable that this weekend on race pace, they were a lot further ahead of the pack than they were in the previous two, three races. So they've taken that step, haven't they? It's, uh, it, all, it all blends into one, really, when you just see that they're ahead and that's it. Mate, that, that, that's exactly it. After the first four corners, I, did, I, I just got up and started doing housework. I was like, I, I know exactly how this ends. Yeah, I, I I was a little bit more encouraged by Perez coming through the field this time a little bit better, but it's again you got to you got to think Max would have had that car higher still. Yeah, I thought oh brilliant, well done Perez, you got into Q3. Now you can put a lap time in on the soft that's going to be four fifth sixth, like even a, even a fourth or a fifth on the grid, and he finishes second in that race. He passes both of them, the McLarens and Lewis. But again, he gets into Q3 and he just he qualified ninth. What are you, what are you doing? The fastest car on the fastest tyre and you qualify ninth. Given another two laps, I reckon uh, Lewis would have caught him as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The way that Lewis yeah. came back to him at the end. Um, Perez pitted a bit earlier, didn't he, than Lewis on that final stop. And Lewis obviously kept the tyres alive for a bit longer. It's better from Sergio, but... He needs a he needs a good drive because Ricardo's back in that Alpha Tower seat now and he had a bit of a strange race, didn't he? He started off thirteenth, which is the first time in five races that Alpha Tower have been out of Q one. First time since Monaco that Alpha Tower have been out of Q, out of Q one. So immediately putting the daggers into the back of Sonoda and eyeing up Perez. Perez is in that Red Bull car, and he was only four four spots on the grid ahead of Ricardo in that AlphaTauri. But it's encouraging for Danny Rick to jump in this car after two weeks and still be two places ahead of someone that's been in it for a season and a half, is it? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I fully agree. It's not a bad way to start your comeback. I don't, I, I don't know. I just think he's got he's got a lot of time to catch up on this car. We discussed this with the super license points and the potential people that could take the seat away from him and stuff. But I think if he's consistently out driving Sonoda, I think Sonoda needs to be worried about who's coming for his seat, not who's coming for Danny Rick's seat. Uh, I did say in our episode when we got the news about Ricardo, um, I was asked who who would go into the Alpha Tauri seats next year. 
And I said, I could see it genuinely being Lawson and Awatha. Because if Ricardo either, I think him going to Red Bull for next season is a bit much. But if you're a team looking for a lead driver or an experienced driver, any other team on the grid, and you've got a Ricardo that looks like he's showing signs of the race winner, the last of the late breakers, the uh, good person to have in the team environment, that the happy, upbeat Ricardo who can come in and change the mood in a garage just like that. It's an interesting proposition to have. And if Red Bull don't promote him back to the team and he's on cylinders, firing on all cylinders, I think that somebody else would pick him up. I don't know who, don't know where, but he would have to be in the conversation if we have a Ricardo with the potential to get back to what he was. Oh, mate, 100%. But if I'm Alpha Tauri and I'm thinking this hasn't potentially really gone that well, Next season, do I want two rookies again? Like, you know, is that is that a situation as a team that you want to be putting yourself in? Or are you staying with someone that can drive your car properly yeah. and giving it, you know, a decent, you know, a decent showing on his first outing? You know, don't get me wrong, probably podcaster's curse. Or he'll fuck it up for the whole rest <laughs> of the season. But you've, you've, got, you've got to look at this and think, from a business point of view and a race pace uh qualifying all that sort of stuff right do you need two more rookies i, th- I think especially with alpha tauri as well a, a smaller lower down team on the grid realistically they're never going to beat red bull because red bull will never let it happen on a consistent basis so you said about from a financial point of view from a marketing point of view if you can hold on to daniel ricardo for another season you're going to be going to a Silverstone or a Melbourne or even a Monza and and you're going to be selling Daniel Ricciardo hats, Daniel Ricciardo shirts, Daniel Ricciardo merchandise. You're going to be getting the, in the American races, you're going to be getting the rich folk who have all the paddock passes and everything to be paying to meet Daniel Ricciardo, paying to see Daniel Ricciardo's car, the money and the profitability of a Daniel Ricciardo who is happy, who is bubbly, who is driving well really could be a lifeblood of that team and I do agree that they of course they would want to hold on to him but if a better car comes up then I can't see him hanging around for too long in an Alpha Tauri. Yeah but then it, it falls to the point of what other car you know yeah we're gonna have to wait till the till, till the silly season kicks in till we start realizing who could potentially be on the chopping block and you know their contract you know because mate we've 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 proved, and F1 has proved, contracts mean shit. Um, They're not even worth the paper they're fucking printed on at the moment. I feel like we are all waiting for one driver in one of those five teams, let's say, whether it's Aston, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, or McLaren. Well, it's probably not going to be McLaren. So one of those four teams. And if one driver goes, I think the whole domino chain is going to like fire around the grid as it did when we had the Piastri and Alonso saga last year. But who though? Who's got that potential realistically? Well, we haven't mentioned them on this podcast yet, but two very unhappy Ferrari drivers. The frustration is building over the radio week in, week out. When you're asking what lap you are going to come in for tyres and how hard you need to be pushing and your engineer comes back and tells you that they'll discuss it after the race with you, 
which is what Rocky said to Carlos Sainz, um, in, which got a very angry response from Sainz. No, I need to know now. I don't get... I, I understand that it's Ferrari and I understand the draw of the Ferrari and the Tifosi, but and I know that Freddie Vast is trying to make the changes tread for fair, but they're professional racing drivers and they're being messed around like school kids where they've got like a substitute teacher and like nobody knows what classroom you go into. How is that even an appropriate response to your driver? Exactly. Like, I, like surely should it have not just been an easy way to answer like what lap or yeah you know all this sort of stuff or or just say i'll come back to you in a last time we're calculating like even if it's a stop gap it just seems like they just didn't have the information to give him because they haven't even calculated when the fuck they're gonna do it yeah and i'm sure it was leclerc as well and he was asked what do you think about plan c and he said, I think it's an option, but I can't see the rest of the race. What do you think? Oh, we'll have a look and get back to you. No, if if you're giving him that, if you're if you've got let's say five or six strategies as an option, and you're giving him the third strategy as an option and saying, what do you think about this? You have to know, surely where that roughly. You might not know what everyone else is going to do, but you have to know roughly what time and what moment and what average lap speed you need to do to be able for that to be able to come out in your favor or where it's going to come out against the others in terms of just raw raw time that it takes to perform those strategies it just just baffles me that exactly they should have been coming back with the response of this is what we see happening on this strategy this is what we see happening on this strategy not just oh yeah let, let, and and then yeah, we think that it. this is best. But if you think that this is best, then we're willing to trust you as the driver in the car. And and then you say where else is going to come? Um, how long are Aston Martin? I know it's Baby Stroll. I know it's I know if that is the team owner. How long is how long is Lance going to be there? Hamilton still hasn't signed a contract, and I know that he says, oh, it's all hunky dory. I'm going to sign it with Toto. We've agreed it in principle, but we haven't signed anything. If you've agreed it in principle, sign it, mate. Stop all this speculation and all of these rumours and all of everything that's going on around you. Or take the big money check and go to Ferrari and give us all what we want to see. I'm joking. <laughs> mate, I, I really hope he doesn't go to Ferrari. But to be fair, it wouldn't surprise me if this if the deal's already done. But the speculation and the discussions around the deal, the, the contract and all this sort of stuff, that's what Mercedes want. They want all this hype. They want all this drama because, you know, at this particular point, there is no negative publicity when it comes to Mercedes, you know. The more people that are talking about them, the more people that are speculating, you know, having these discussions on podcasts like us, it's just it's drawing more into their fandom and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But as you have brought up Mercedes... Let's talk about someone else in Mercedes that is having an absolute giggle on the radio. Um, how is Russell going to tell us that his tyres are fucked um, and then go and take three, three seconds a lap out of him? Oh, he, like, of he's, just, yeah. he's just a joker. Uh, do you know what he is with the tyres are fucked comment? He's learning from Lewis, isn't he? My yeah, tyres are gone, my tyres are dead, gone. Yeah. Fastest, like, fastest first set fastest for lap, like, yeah. two seconds of the... 
out of a Ferrari. Well, he wasn't going to get fastest lap. He was nobody was getting near that Red Bull. But yeah, taking two seconds out of a Ferrari in one lap and then suddenly closing the gap for six seconds to the next one as well within about three or four laps as well. And uh, um, good drive from George. I think screwed over a little bit by the team on the, on the Saturday. Um, left in the garage way too late in the Q3, in the Q1. And then he's on board from the end of Q1. He's in the Q, maybe third or fourth in the Q around the final corner. He's got three or four cars behind him. Um, he waits and he waits and he waits. And then two cars go past him on the entrance to the final corner. Then he has to swing all the way outside of the final corner because he's got a car on a fast lap coming through. And he should have just bolted. If he'd have bolted in line with the car that was three or four seconds up the road from him at the time that was ahead of him in the queue, he would have been fine. But for some reason, he, he just waited and waited. Just like me, I'm waiting and waiting to actually watch qualifying because my Sky F1 box decided that it was not going to record uh, any of the weekend, which is totally awesome. So I'll just have to take your take your solid advice and yeah, he was um, to, to, to qualifying. Because so with just over two shit. minutes left in Q1, they cut to Ted, if you're listening to a Sky commentary in the pit lane, and Ted Kravitz goes, every single driver is currently out on track, except from two. And it's Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, and they haven't even left their garage yet. And are they even going to get a lap in? Because everyone else is out there warming up their hard tyres. A lot of people did two warm-up laps to get them in the optimum position. A lot of people did a fast lap, a cool, two cool-down laps, and then a second fast lap and actually improved their time. And Mercedes were just sitting there chilling in the garage. They had what, what they thought probably were banker lap times in. But as we know, in a Q1 session, the track grips up people especially with those hard tires people do a couple of laps on the tires before getting the best out of them and Mercedes are just like yeah we're just gonna send our drivers out there a a yellow flag could happen a red flag could happen we know that we're not safe but we're gonna trust that they're gonna do it all on the last lap and that's what cost George and Hamilton and then in Q2 I think was ninth or tenth and he was only a tenth or two from getting through into Q3 Mercedes strategy in qualifying, you need to work it out. As good as your strategy was in the race to to uh, get George back up there. It was good race pace from the Mercedes, though, once they got into their, especially once they got onto lower fuel at the end. That car was an absolute rocket ship on on the low fuel uh, last, like, 20 laps of uh, the race and that. You know, we need to bring back refueling, don't we? That's, uh... <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan of refueling, just not the fires. Uh, <laughs> like... Surely modern technology can, uh, can help with that a little bit. But as long as it doesn't go to how much electric power is in the engine only, that's, uh, we can all agree on that. I don't know. I'd quite like to hear some of the um, radio that we hear in um, Formula E because some of the stuff that's popped up recently on my stories and all that sort of stuff on Facebook, Instagram and stuff, they'd be losing their mind a little bit. In uh, Are we uh, referencing Dan Tickton? In Berlin. Yeah, like oh literally, like, <laughs> can we check if I have the weigh-ins? I'm, I'm leaving. Someone, someone call me a taxi. I'm done. Uh, like, I feel like that's just the Dan Tickton effect, not the, not quite the formulary effects, but oh, fantastic. Yeah. Should we give a proper mention to Daniel Ricciardo? Um, qualified thirteenth, involved in the lap one incident, went back down to eighteenth. I think it was eighteenth. So last of the runners behind Sergeant. Yeah. And with only two Alpines behind him. And then methodically worked his way through the race, lap after lap. Um, 
good overtake on Sargent. And I think it was on one of the Hasses as well. Um, bit of the old Ricardo on track overtaking there. And worked his way back up to 13th, which on the face of it, you think 13th in a race where there were two or three retirements, it's about standard for an Alpha Tauri. But given where he started, where he was after lap one, and then the fact that he beat his teammate after picking up damage after that one as well it's a good it's a good sign it's just a good sign for how his weekend went totally agree it's a good sign for Danny it's not a good sign for Sonoda or for Checo <laughs> yeah I, I I don't know I don't think Checo needs to potentially be worried just yet I think Sonoda does it's good that he was able to make it back through the field and he wasn't taken out in the in the turn in the turn one crash like the the Alpines because yeah. he needs that time in the car. He needs them laps. He's now probably solely um, going to be leading the development within that team. Because obviously, you know, he's been in F1 for a while versus Sonoda. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to be telling them what they need to do, what they need to develop, you know, what parts that they need to be getting onto and all that sort of stuff. And if you're not driving that car for 70 laps, you're not going to have an understanding of what you need and what you need to develop. So I think it's good that he managed to stay in um, as long as he did in like P1, P2, P3, qualifying and and the race, because it was definitely needed, not so much for the team, but for him and his development and his understanding of the car. So I'm glad that he wasn't taken out. And I think he's going to be definitely someone that, you know, his teammate is going to have to worry about in yeah. in the coming races yeah just trying to think if there's anyone else we should mention um should we mention lando two second places on the spin mclaren showing that that silverstone result wasn't just a one-off i know piastri was maybe a little bit further away from lando than he was at silverstone on a race pace but again second and third on the grid it, it's great to see the mclaren boys back up there it is encouraging like i said before in, in start podcast it's encouraging to see that a couple of teams, the Mercedes, the McLarens, and to some extent the Ferraris as well, they are they are finding some pace, they are finding some consistency. We need these teams to bring the challenge to the Red Bull. At this particular point in the season, I'm not fussed if it's Mercedes or if it's Lando in McLaren. As long as somebody can cause them some sort of problem, and give us some sort of, you know, something to look forward to at the start of a race weekend. I'm all for it. If we're looking for the rest of the season, where do you see potentially uh, that? I know we know, we don't know how they're going to develop after the summer or if anyone brings upgrades after the summer break. But where, where do we see a, a shock result happening and a Red Bull losing? Because at the moment, the only thing I can think of is a Mercedes at Brazil. I can't see a Red Bull losing unless it's mechanical or an actual crash shenanigans we yeah, need. No. <laughs> yeah unless you get a nico rosberg in there with, with a screwdriver their pace is phenomenal like their race pace is just ridiculous they don't even need to finish within q3 for max to still be on the podium so yeah. well to be on the top step of the podium i would say i think exactly. you could yeah um i'm quite scared about what the gap is going to be at spa based off what we've seen in hungary uh, don't, uh, don't, don't worry me right <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got my little like uh, rain dance hat on and I've got my little maracas and that 
I'm going to be doing my rain dance all weekend. It's going to absolutely piss down and it's going to give us one of the most thrilling races after the summer break. Um, well, no, it's before the summer far. break. It's next weekend. It is. It is before the summer break. See, this is. See, look, right. Don't fuck with my calendar. Like <laughs> for, for for years and years, you have you you know you got a massive break and then it's spa, right? And then it's and then it's Monza. You know <laughs> straight exactly, <up>. right? <laughs> you know where you are in life by when spa comes. Yeah. And everyone gone and fucked it all up out here just trying to mess with my mind but no i generally do think it is going to be a good race and i will I say this we've got well, a good chance it's, of due it. a, it's due a good one the last few at spa you had the the abysmal well the non-event in 2021 last year's race was very poor the 2020 race under the covid season was very poor it's in need of a good race if, if spa i think um Especially if there's again rumours about its place on the F1 circuit, its contracts beyond next year, if only signed a one year extension for next year. And F1 keeps giving it one year extensions. It needs an event where the fans are entertained and go home happy. And it also needs a race where there's entertainment and enjoyment. I would love a wet race at Spa, but I do think it comes with a caveat of some of the incidents that we've seen there in recent years that have caused death and serious injury in the wet. I feel like the FAA will be very, very hot on if it's unsafe to race, they won't race. Or if there's a slight doubt in their mind, they have to, they have to just hold off. And I'm 100% on board with that. That's what should have happened a few weekends ago. Yeah. Um, in the Formula that, Regional. Yeah. That was, that, that was a poor, poor decision to go racing. And I feel like the uh, the stewards within the F1 side of it would make a well, I hope yeah. they would make a better decision. So yeah. obviously, while I am out here doing my my uh, my rain dance, what we ideally want to happen is we want everyone to go on slicks at the start, lovely dry. Maybe a couple of laps in, you get a sharp couple of showers. Maybe a Max goes into a gravel or or uh, slides off at slides off at a lacom or uh or we'll come up to the final chicane maybe slides into a wall or something and then we can have a great rest of the race <laughs> so basically tim you're saying if if we just take max verstappen out of the whole equation we can have some good racing oh, it's but almost much, like yeah? that's the problem with f1 at the moment isn't it <laughs> yeah but it's, it isn't so much a problem because like as much as i dislike red bull and my dislike for max you can't hate on them for having the best machinery. Yeah, okay, I know it comes from a catering budget, but <laughs> it is still the best machinery. It's just shady how they got to where they are. That's yeah. the problem. Like, and, and regardless of what you think of Max as an individual with character, what he does on or away from the circuit, he's a bloody good driver. And <laughs> there is no yeah. there is no denying that he is even if you don't like the fact he's in the best car or the best Red Bull, if you put them all in the same car, he would be right up there with the Alonso, the Hamiltons, the Norrises, the Leclercs. He would be there every week. So, Yeah, it's like I say, obviously a lot of my dislike for Max and Red Bull obviously stems very heavily from the like, 2021 um, end, end of the season. Um, because if, if Max... And everyone else had pitted and they were all on the same tyres and all of the rules were abided by and Max still won. 
But whereas that isn't the case, I just feel from that point, unless you are a Max fan or a Red Bull fan, it's just everything is built on that foundation of it being an illegitimate title. Okay, yeah, he fucking absolutely wiped the floor with everyone last year. Can't take that away from him. But then we find out all this fucking price cap budget shit goes on, which then leads into this season. So you're getting a slap on the wrist for breaking the rules twice in the same year. And then you're getting a wind tunnel reduction, but yet you still have the fastest car for the next two fucking seasons. So like, it just like, it, you know what I mean? It just, Red Bull have always been shady, but when it's consistently shady, I think that's the problem. Yeah, the, the, what I would say as a caveat to that is Red Bull didn't decide the penalty that they got for the budget cap. And also Red Bull weren't the ones who through the safety car kept them running around and didn't throw a red flag in Abu Dhabi. So it's that's that's on the FIA, the stewards and the race directors at the time. Okay. But then again, saying that, when you've got someone in your ear constantly going, Oh, may, maybe we should do this. Michael, I don't like this, Michael. Maybe we should change this. Like, you know, it's I, I, I told you, mate, I'm, I, I, I'm still fully expecting this bloke to turn up on a fucking island with about 30 million to suddenly appear in his bank account from a Red Bull <laughs> subsidiary for his part in that bullshit. Um, uh, and to be fair, the fact this man is even allowed to be employed by the FIA still is an absolute joke. But I'm like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go say, on we're it. not We're not yeah. here to discuss 2021 again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've done that enough. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying... That's where my hatred and like dislike for the whole Max Red Bull scenario, that's where it stems from predominantly. The fact that he drove like an absolute cunt for about four seasons is <laughs> is highly up there too. But saying that, Lewis has drove like a prick as well. I think the majority of young drivers that come through, if you, if you want to get to the top, you have to have elements of being a prick about you. You look at a younger Alonso like his formative Renault days, 2003, 2004, before he won the back-to-back titles. Um, the younger Sebastian Vettel, I know maybe not so much when he was at the Toro Rosso, but the first year or two, he was in the in the proper Red Bull. Then you have to have an arrogance and you have to have a, I am better than you and you're going to give way to me style of driving. Even if you look in the history books, you look at Senna. Martin Brundle described it once as, he was racing Senna and in a, uh, I think it was like a Formula 3 race or something. And he passed him once at the start of the race and Brundle didn't cover off the gap properly. And so the next time he went to go through the gap, Brundle covered off the gap and they both crashed. So you have to have that mentality of, this is my racetrack, I'm the fastest I'm going to be here, otherwise I'm going to crash you. (laughs) Otherwise you're going to crash into me and it's going to be your fault. I'm going to crash into you, but I'm going to make it your fault. It's, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's, that's how you get to be the best one. And then once they crash into you once, they'll all be scared of you and they'll let you free when you have that line, when you have that pace. Um, anyway, we've been going for over an hour, so probably should wrap it up. Yes, Tim. So we managed to get a nearly hour-long podcast out of that shit show of a race. Um, <laughs> but something that isn't shit is our show sponsor. Uh, that's Apex Tracks, A-P-E-X-T-R-A-X-S.com. For all of your 3D printed track wall art, they have literally every circuit you can think of and some that you've never even thought of. 
Um, but yeah, we just want to give a massive shout out to our show sponsor. And uh, from me, cheerio, guys. Yeah, and from myself, um, we'll see you after the race in Spa. Keep doing that rain dance.